Hello everyone, my name is Brandon Burns, Chief Executive Officer for Peaks Recovery Centers. Uh, excited to bring, what are we bringing today? We're bringing some authors. We're bringing some, some authors, and folks. Some doctors. Grab yeah. your popcorn, your soda, as you do when Brandon <laughs> Burns is the host, because this is going to be good stuff. We're speaking yeah. to uh, veterans, active military members, and the family systems here today. Really excited to bring this book forward. Before introducing our special guest today here on the Finding Peaks episode, I've got Clint Nicholson, co-host, LPCLAC, Chief Operating Officer for Peaks. All the clinical things. All of them. All the clinical things. Well, a touch of them. Yeah. And joined today by two incredible authors who've put together the book titled Injure Covert Mission, A Veteran's Guide to Fighting Pain and Addiction. Clint and I have had the special privilege already of reading it. And all of Absolutely. you at home are going to read it shortly after this episode. I know it because we're bringing it to you. So joined today by Carrie and Dustin Brockberg, uh, both PhDs. Uh, Carrie Brockberg is a licensed psychologist working in the field of rehabilitation. Her current practice focuses on individuals with chronic pain, brain injury, and other chronic illnesses and disabilities. She specializes in the development of tangible psychological approaches connecting the mind and body in better understanding overall functioning and quality of life. All great words on the Scrabble board. <laughs> Dustin Brockberg is a licensed psychologist working in the field of substance use and co-occurring disorders. He served in the United States Army from 2004 to 2008, including a deployment to Iraq. His clinical interests include veteran-related issues, grief, loss, affect, phobia, and trauma. Also great words on the Scrabble board. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, you two. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, th thanks so much. Totally. So, um, so both Clint and I certainly have had the opportunity to read through your text. And uh, when I started uh, reading it, uh, I, am a, I am a civilian with very little military background in my life, and it felt like um, there was a particular tone in the way that the text was being written. So, you know, off the bat here, I would just love to know why you felt called to write this text for the viewers out there in the first place, uh, and, and the tone that's situated within that book. Um, you know, it, it, it feels like at Peaks Recovery Centers, there's a straightforwardness to the text that doesn't always feel like we have the privilege at Peaks to like talk to our, you know, patients in that way. And so uh, just, just want to know the why and certainly uh, want to uh, understand the tone for those who might be on the civilian side of this, not, you know, fully knowing why it's being addressed in the way that it is. So we'll start there. Absolutely. Well, again, I can kind of just jump off on that. So again, thank you for having us so much. Um, I think a big why to this book was uh, really trying to fill a huge gap in the literature world around uh, kind of connecting the worlds of veterans, pain, and mental health into one fell swoop. Um, there's tons of books out there that are really academically written, a lot of APA citations, all that kind of hoopla stuff, which is all has a place in the world, but there's not really, it wasn't really a book out there that was directly written for people that are impacted by these issues in a really no nonsense direct way. Um, mm -hmm. And it really didn't give a lot of good tools that they can literally read that page, put it down and do it. Um, and so I think that was a big, a big reason to the why. Um, I also think that from my own personal experience of being a veteran, uh, one of the one of the hardest things is being able to to actually connect or relate to something that's being written about you, and mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of folks in in recovery could probably identify with that mentality as well. That there's tons of theory and tons of things out there, but there's not so much 
ways the words kind of talk right at you in the text, which in a lot of ways our tone was doing just that of saying, you need to stop it. So you need to start this or things like that. And so I think that was a big part of kind of creating some new literature that really hasn't been done before. I think too, uh, Brandon, coming from also the civilian perspective and co-author here, um, one thing that Dustin has shared with me from, and I've actually observed from the veteran community working with vets, obviously having my own vet at home. Surprise, surprise. Yes, Dustin and I are married. Um, But uh, one thing that is just awesome about the veteran community is the banter. And the banter, I think, is something that just um, you when you need another vet and you have that banter, you bring in a little bit more straightforward, direct, no nonsense, as you pointed out, um, there's that connectivity just kind of immediately. Um, and that was something that was super important in our, in our book. So not only just like directness, but also, you know, you're going to find a, maybe a few curse words in the book, too. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's definitely a little bit, you know, it, it got away from our clinical side, you know, similarly, um, you know, working within a more professional setting where you might not find us, you know, clinically talking in the same manner. But it was kind of fun to bring that out in the book. And I think it's relatable um, and makes it more of a page turner if you if you ask me but (laughs) absolutely yeah i get to be i kind of live in the middle of you guys i'm a military brat so i've had that uh there is a level of tone and uh directness that felt very familiar to a certain degree and also as a clinician though having this it was actually quite refreshing to just kind of I don't know, sometimes I feel like as clinicians, we can really start, we kind of fluff things up a little bit to try to make things land a little bit more easily for our population and our clients. And this man, there was, it it just landed right away. There was no fluff. It was very, very straight and to the point. And it was very refreshing. And also, um, I don't know, there was something very empowering about that as well. Very, and yeah, so I'm curious again, like that tone, um, what were some of the other um, maybe goals that you had having such a direct tone? Yeah, thanks for saying all that, Clinton. That's that's awesome yeah. to hear that you you received it that way. Um, you know, I think when we were writing this book, the biggest thing for us was we wanted to give folks hope, um, hope and um, empowerment, feelings that they can take one message away or they can take 10 messages away. They could try this today, or they could try this in six months or five years. Um, I think the feedback we've gotten from folks too is like, you don't have to necessarily start at the beginning of the book. You could start at whatever chapter makes sense for you and where you're at. Um, So I think that, you know, that's a part of where the tone comes from is, you know, we wanted to make this very approachable, very accessible, which, you know, it, it really makes a difference for folks that are trying to take that first step, especially in a book. Um, so it's, it really, that was our major goal, I think, as we were writing and um, hoping to reach our, our target audience, so. Yeah, and then just, just to kind of piggyback off that too, um, I think a lot of, a lot of veterans would probably connect to the idea that they want to use their time really in a really effective efficient way and so this book is built in just that mentality and so um similar to to what to what um uh, carrie said this idea that you can go to any part of the book and just go i think that that's a similar mentality that a lot of veterans have but i would also argue that a lot of people that are going to pick up this book whether you're a veteran or not 
is you want to be able to apply it. You want to be able to do something with it. And um, we want to respect that mentality that in today's world, you got to keep going, right? But a lot of people, whether they're being a veteran, they're in recovery, um, they're working to get to get into recovery, whatever it is, that they're done waiting um, for 1,800 pages of a book to get to the final punchline right. versus every <laughs> single chapter, every single start of the chapter is a punchline, right? We're trying to get at you right off the bat. Um, and then kind of hold you to be able to kind of work within your system wherever you are in your life. So I think it's really trying to hook you at multiple ways. Yeah, awesome. one of the one of the you know speaking still to the toward the tone of the book. One of the things that it right when I got to this section, I was like, okay, I'm tuned in, I'm ready for this because uh, it was like directed. It felt like it was directed at me now. But so I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But it said something like, okay, say you have anxiety and you go to a counselor's office, I've got news for you, right? They're not gonna cure your anxiety, that's not their job, right? They're, they're informing a toolkit here that you go, and I think in parentheses after they say, sorry to break it to you, you know, again, that's a very, it's, anti, it's, it's certainly antithetical to fluff, you know, yeah, in that regard, and, and what you might find in some clinical settings, and from there I was just gripped moving forward, and, and, and for me, that, that word empowerment that you brought up is, is what feels like you're trying to inform as a tone there, right? That, that you come into this, and we'll get into the rucksacks and so forth, but you come into this with a certain you know, uh, level of baggage, and to get out of this moment, it's gonna require your energy moving forward, and that might be just getting into a therapist's office in the first place. Uh, it might, now that you're in a therapy office, you know, you're, you're I think commonly what you know, we find, especially around mental health, you know, major depression, you know, past medication regimens and so forth don't work, there's a defeatedness that can come out of that, right? And um, without objectifying you know, our sense about it, right, and empowering the individual, it feels like we're given a new capacity to move out of this phase that we're in. And so I just wanted to highlight that because that was the first point I was like, I think there's a tone here that's essential in going through this and that they're speaking directly to a military member differently maybe in the way that you know civilians would be approached so i don't know if you want to add more to that but that was a gripping sort of section of the book for me yeah yeah i would just add just to that point is you know there's a level of honesty and almost authenticity that we're trying to bring to this and you know as psychologists naturally we want you in the therapist's office we want to be able to help and to kind of work within your system and kind of where you are but in the same breath we have to be real with you right the, the, if you go into the office under false pretenses and, you know, you assume that the, the first 10 minutes that your butt cheek hits that chair that you should be healed is not a realistic idea here. Very similar to a lot of people that assume if I have 10 symptoms of anxiety and medication is going to take away all 10, no chance, right? That's, that's not yeah. how that works. And I think if, if folks can kind of continue to hear that new narrative, it allows for an opportunity to be able to work within that new system versus if we just go into what we're told to do or what culturally we've we've always done for example you have a headache you take a pill right that's very that's very regimented into your brain that that's how it works and um we have to deconstruct that yeah and i think too one thing that um and we speak to this book yes you're we're talking to veterans um but talking to i think veteran families or any individual that um knows a veteran or wants to learn more about veterans um, the tone is very purposeful in that, hey, this might be an effective way to get in to talk to your veteran, too. Um, you know, whether that's a family member, loved one, a significant other, partner. Um, 
so you know it's there's sometimes there's this um feeling of hesitancy i think within the recovery community when you talk about addiction chronic pain put x in the line um, mental health it's hard to talk about this stuff right and that's a big theme in our book is talk i think one part we just like damn it just talk right so yes say something um, yeah yeah, talk but but (laughs) the thing is is like it's hard it's vulnerable it's it's scary and when the tone is very purposeful and that let's not make this scary let's make this understandable and natural and something that you know we're all experiencing pain is an universal experience how we deal with pain no one wants to feel that way Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, that's also very much why we, we came about it that way. So, yeah, yeah I think the way that you guys utilized pain as sort of a, a gateway to talk about everything else that was sort of opened the door and allowed, um, you know, just being able to talk about pain in all of its different forms eventually started to, there was this movement towards normalizing what people were experiencing, but first normalizing that physical pain that we can all relate to and that we can, um, and that we shy less away from, but at the same time have that same need to like, I want this gone like right now. And uh, really like, yeah, you mentioned Dustin deconstructing those narratives. And I think um, that, yeah, I, I is, I'm curious, um, Obviously, your your background, Carrie, is in pain management and pain. But what was um, what were some of the other reasons that you chose to use pain as sort of a vehicle to explore the rest of the mental health components? Yeah, I mean, so I think you know, Dustin and I we came together for this book, and we tried to better understand, you know, how do people understand. Um, themselves? How do we go through different parts of our life um, that we experience? And, you know, I think pain is something that right away you think of physicality, you know, how something impacts you um, quite physically, whether that be chronic pain or acute pain. Um, But when you think about kind of the layers about what we experience as humans, the different things in our life, the experiences that we have, um, that may be negative for us. Painful, something being painful um, is is very impressionable for us as we we talk about um, addiction, as we talk about different social experiences or mental health ex- experiences. Someone, um, specifically, of course, veterans experience um, transitioning out of the military, but. Um, Pain is something that I think is helpful to unify us a little bit more than rather than um, feeling so distant um, when someone is going through addiction, recovery, mental health, chronic pain. um, And there's a very significant feeling of being distant um, within this community. Um, I'm the only one experiencing this. No one experiences like I do. Um, So you know, this come together moment, we, we, Dustin and I really talked about how do we make people feel part of something? How do we develop more of this community? Um, and pain just seemed to be this more widespread understanding. Um, I don't know, going haha back to psychology, right? There's only a few feelings or experiences <laughs> that are universal. But I think when right. you say pain, people are like, yeah, that it that was painful. And that was, you know, something that 
And so I think you see that throughout our book, right? We kind of mm-hmm. diversify what pain is, how that shows up in addiction, how that shows up for veterans, um, mental health, through the biopsychosocial lens that we form up at the beginning of the book and kind of break down later. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just to add to that, just really briefly, is the there's also a cultural component to this concept of pain, right? Yeah. So, um, how different races, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, whatever it is, it all has a cultural lens to how a person interprets pain and whether pain is a good thing or a bad thing, right? So, um, for example, in the military, if somebody goes through a painful event, it doesn't necessarily mean that's a bad thing. And what I mean by that is that it might create um, strength, resilience. It might be empowering for the person to kind of get through a hard event versus um, if you feel like you're alone in the pain. And then all of a sudden that context changes with being good to bad, right? So I think that the, mm-hmm. those are all things that we can spin um, in a lot of ways, right? So whether it be a person that's coming right out of a deployment and how they experience pain, if they experience pain physically or emotionally while they're in, in, in their actual deployment, um, all that the context continues to change their definition of what that means to them. Awesome. Yeah, beautiful. Excuse me, I was I'm, uh, I was reminded of a quote, so I just pulled it up on my phone there for the book that I want to I want to bring to the viewers. But before I dive into these fantastic little statements and insights you guys have in these books that are that are worthwhile and uh, key takeaways, uh, the metaphor throughout the book is right. Okay, if you're in the military and you have a mission coming up, right, whether it's a covert mission or whatever the case might be, you want to be prepared for that mission and you want to show up in the best possible way. So you have a rucksack, right, and you're going to pack that rucksack with all of the things that are going to get you through that mission and get you home safely at the end of the day. You know, maybe it's a pocket knife, you know, maybe it's your medical kit, whatever the case might be and what we're stuffing in there is so valuable and important. And I'm just, without me stealing the show of this metaphor throughout <laughs> the book, um, you know, I would just love for the viewers to hear kind of your guys' takeaway and the value of that, um, ultimately the value of, of that metaphor throughout the book. I can, I can, I can start with it here. So uh, I think uh, <laughs> a, a big part of the metaphor is to change your gear, right? Is to change mm-hmm. out your rucksack, to clean it out. Um, and that's not to say that, it, that the gear you have is wrong, right? So for right. a lot of, for a lot of folks uh, in the veteran community, they had a lot of gear that helped them survive unspeakable, just events that very few folks learn what happened. And um, there's a level of emotional attachment to that gear, right? It got you through mm-hmm. a very hard moment in your life. And so right. um, whether that gear is a very physical piece of gear of, a hat or a shirt, or if it was a mentality, or if it was a a rule of, I will not do this, I will not show this, I will not talk about this. Um, That gear is pretty uh, marrow marrow deep in there for them. And so I think that um, there's a level of surrender or almost acceptance that we can put down that piece of gear and put new gear in there that is more efficient for you in in the civilian world. And um that takes time right that that's not an easy right. transition to make and some veterans are able to change out some gear pretty fast and some veterans really struggle with it and um that doesn't make one right or wrong but it often does correlate to certain issues that we see and so for example some veterans are more than willing to talk about their experience in the military some veterans won't talk about anything right and so those those rules are different um and 
their relationship with that gear is different. And so a, a big part of this book is acknowledging, validating that, yes, this gear is important to you. Yes, we want to honor that. And what would happen if you took one chance and just took down one piece of gear to see what would happen? Did it actually, is, there, is this, is this, is this a, a, a better version of it? It's kind of like a, you have your old flashlight. Let me give you a brand new one that's even better. That can do yeah. more work than usual. Yeah. Just give it a chance, right? And so I think that that's a big metaphor that we continue to kind of hammer in in this book. Yeah, and I would uh, just kind of build off that a little bit. I think something that was so important for us writing this book together was we wanted to actually give actual strategies um and that is huge for you know any community that is actually trying to make differences and changes and um so it's not just this metaphorical idea of you know let's change out our gear let's you know this is something that you should be thinking about and we actually do i mean we have reflective questions throughout as well of course yeah. but we have actual tangible next steps is what we we call them for folks to you know switch out that gear switch out the strategies that they're trying um you know i always joke with my clients you know why are you here to see me and they'll be like uh because i want help i'm like no no let's get to it why are you here to see <laughs> me? and and a lot of times it's like well okay yeah you know it nothing else has worked and I'm at the point now where, yeah, I, I know I need you. I know I know I need to. I need help. I need help. Everything else yeah. I've exhausted, right? Like, and I'm always mm -hmm. like, yes. Let's be honest. Let's be right there, right? So the same thing, you know, when someone picks up a book, you know, you're trying to think about like, gosh, things aren't working right now. So what can I gather? Is there something in here that I can gather? And that's the big thing too, right? So the the metaphorical rucksack, but also like, hey, we're gonna give you some strategies to try to switch out, see what works. Um, and Dustin and I are huge, we're huge on, hey, not everything is gonna work for you in the book. Um, you know, see what works, try it out. If it doesn't work, switch it up, do something else different. Mm -hmm. So we give a lot of options just for that reason, so. Beautiful. Yeah, and it reminds and, me and, when and, you guys. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Dustin, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to add just to add to that really fast too is that similar to what we were talking about earlier around um, going into therapy and kind of deconstructing that narrative. There's also a level of, you know, if you do try a new tool, it might not be the best fit initially, right? It's kind of like putting on a new pair of shoes. You got to get used to it, right? And so it's going to wear in a little bit. And so that, that's also a big part of this too, is that when, when, when you do try a new tool, when you do try to kind of put your foot in the water and you tap it to see what happens, it takes a second to get used to that temperature, right? So um, I think there's a level, level of almost taking a chance too. Absolutely. And I think it actually, I was just reminding me, I think there's a part in there where you guys talk about how in the military there's a manual for everything. And uh, there's not necessarily a manual for this transition back into becoming a civilian, this transition of uh, trying to deal with, um, you know, pain, psychological, sociological, um, physical, what, what have you. And so it does feel there is a, a manual-ish component to the book where it does start to give you some of those tools and it gives you direction, you know, and I think that that is a really important, something that again, clinically we can, typically can shy away from is that idea of being directive within the actual clinical um, world and within the clinical relationship. But here it feels very natural and it feels very um, 
at this, it feels, I don't know, you guys do spend a lot of time normalizing certain things throughout the book. And that is, a, again, a, something that f made it feel very accessible. Um, but yeah, I think that there is, a, it just reminds me of that idea of like, there's no manual for, for this, so. But here, here's a start, you know, here's something to get you going. So, yeah. yeah, and then I, I think at, you know, uh, at this juncture for me as well too, the thing that I wanna highlight, um, it, it really just to start to sink the teeth into this, because I think it, it's so important that we're speaking, uh, this book isn't, I think this book can work for anybody. At the same time, it's speaking very directly to uh, a, a set group of individuals and sinking our teeth into the text, the, the, the component of identity and sort of an identity crisis. And I think one of the very powerful messages, and, and I've seen this in other written texts about war and community and tribalism and all of these aspects of the military that you get right, but there was something that just kind of broke my heart in the book. It was one of the quotes, can't remember the name or the, uh, the beginning of the chapter, but basically it was a military you know, person stating, when I got into the military, you eat with you know, each other, you, you fight with each other, you, you, know, you, you go back and forth with each other, you exercise together, you're tired together, you get injured together, you're exhausted, you fight for each other together. And then when you step outside of the military and you step into a job uh, in that regard, yeah, people will you know, maybe help out in the job environment and those sorts of things, but, but you, you go from this full force, I got your back into an office space that's like, well, I'm working on something that's important over here, I'll get to you later. And, um, and uh, it was just so disheartening, and, uh, and, I, and I really just want to bring that to light because there are real challenges from transitioning to military life into civilian life. And I've even, I got, a, I got a military buddy of mine or whatever, and I was just talking about my civilian stuff and what's going on, and he was just like, I know, I'm kind of glad I'd, I haven't made that transition into that yet, <laughs> you know? And there's a, there's a special feature within the military that honors that sort of communal aspect of things, and it's a real empowered identity component and would just love for you, you know, both of you to share in, you know, your perspective and why you were bringing that into the book in, in the first place and what you're honoring with, uh, within those texts. Yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful point. Um, I, I think in a lot of ways, when, when a person is entering the military, there is a change in identity. When they're in the military, there's a change in identity. When they leave the military, there's a change in identity, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's a constant shift. And, um, you know, I grief is probably the best word that I think of when somebody's transitioning out of the military because there's such a culture shock that tends to happen. Whether it's active duty or National Guard, you're still transitioning different ways of perceiving the world. And um, I think that's important to, to be honored and, un and understood. And in the same breath, I you know, we actually talk about this later on in the book around this idea that when um, when, a, when a person comes home from the military, let's say they, they join the military at 18, they get out at 22, 23, and they get home, and they, they go to this landscape, they go to this restaurant, all their friends are there, and next to their friends are all their spouses and their kids, and they got their college degrees, and you're just like, what just happened? I just lost five years of my life, and I did this great, honorable thing, um, had a lot of stuff, a lot of stories to tell, right? And mm -hmm. no one knows how to talk to me because they, they can't connect to what I went through. They are clearly a different stage of my life. And so there's this immediate, like kind of earlier saying this, the idea of being alone, being isolated, being left out. And, um, and then so naturally, kind of a few things happen there. One, we, we go to try to find a community and it's harder than you think, you know? And yeah. then there's also this piece around, 
you know, do you go to common places like the VA or PFWs or places like that where you know you're going to find people of your community? Um, or do you grab onto that old gear of hunker down and kind of keep going, right? And then we also see that narrative plenty as well. So um, I think that's it's important to understand when, when you do encounter a person that is leaving the military or getting ready to leave the military, that is exactly the time to kind of reach out and be like, how, where are you at? How are you doing? Because um, mm-hmm. whether or not they see it as a problem or not, um, it's not necessarily a problem, but it is something to be honored and understood. And so um, I think, you know, the more proactive we can get with that, the better it will be. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, the the piece that you're bringing up, Brandon, is, you know, this idea of like the individualistic versus collectivistic approach that, you know, maybe we know from different cultures and backgrounds. And, um, you know, I can't tell you the number of veterans I've worked with where this is, it breaks my heart. It, it's hard to hear that. And it's hard to um, see the pain that they go through of feeling like that there's not the joint mission or there's not the joint value system that was so hammered in for so you know long or even short periods of time but was just highlighted as like a core belief system of like this is how we go about things um and when you have that hammered in as a core belief system and it's been a successful right so then you they see successes from that core belief system of working together and then you get back into civilian life and jobs and family and there's this more individualistic like let's let how do i succeed myself rather than this work together mentality it is very difficult to navigate that um so exactly what dustin said that feeling of grief being alone Mm. um and it's it brings about a lot of pain it brings about well how do i deal with this now and Mm -hmm. um that's when we see folks maybe turning to unhealthy coping strategies and um, having more depression and anxiety and, um, it's very tough. So I'm glad you're bringing that up, Brandon. That's a very important part of the book. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, and just to keep that thread going as well too, uh, in recognition, I think we got, we got to find out better ways on the civilian side of things to talk to veterans and talk to active military. I mean, another part of the book that broke my heart is right. Like common experiences of military members from civilians is like, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say it because it's in the book, but like, did you kill someone? You know, like, ah, no, don't ask that question. If, I mean, I can't imagine asking that question myself. I don't, I don't know what, how, as a civilians, we're trying to make connections there or why that's a cool thing, but I, that's not why people get in the military is to kill. It's an unfortunate aspect of, you know, battles and war and those types of things. But I'm sharing this and hopefully, you know, uh, for your two, from your two professional lens and certainly Dustin, your own experiences, like, what what are some like recommendations for how to approach military members? I mean, I, I feel like curiosity is key here, um, but you know, what advice can we give to civilians to just better approach our military service members so that veterans are active military, even family systems, so that we don't come forward with such, I don't know, such naive statements and questions about the service? Great, great question. So I think um, uh, there's, there's, a, there's a few things there. So I think in, and one of the one of the key aspects of this is just to your point that people are curious. People don't have the language or know how to necessarily connect or talk. But I think the key word in that is connect, right? So, um, you know, I, I I was very fortunate. You know, in high school, I had a you know a group of like ten guys, and we're still friends, right? And so one of the, one of the one of the most cherished moments I had was when I actually came back uh, from the military. 
Um, they all kind of picked me up from the airport and in that car ride, I couldn't tell you how many questions are being asked. Right. And, and I was just like, what, what, where did you come up with that idea? Like, where do you think this is? And, um, and, 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 and they were coming at it from pure care, love, concern, curiosity. There was nothing meant to be insulting or to, to insinuate anything. I think that's one of the things we also talk about too in the book is, is the idea that it's not personal, right? That a lot of people, just don't know any better. And I think the same thing happens with people in recovery too. So I also want to kind of hit, kind of hit on that as well, that folks that are going through addiction recovery. People don't understand how to talk to people that are in recovery. And that's such an important I, I, idea to understand that they're really trying to understand where you are. And it's not, it's not meant to be a slight or something of that nature. Um, my, my philosophy, and I say this not only in my personal life, but I even say professionally, I think about this idea a lot of playing dumb. And it's, it's a weird, it's a weird uh, uh, strategy here, but it, it's actually quite effective. And that is that don't make any assumptions. Just yeah. assume you know nothing and approach it in that way. And you will often find a better narrative than pre-assuming what you think they're going to say and then asking a question with, a, with an agenda, for example. So I think that um, a, approaching veterans in that way is, is a, a probably much more helpful approach than what we have done in the past. Yeah, and I, I would add, so talking from someone where I've asked Dustin lots of questions, I think in the beginning of our, you know, our book, um, that's how we open it up is like, this is how, I mean, we personally have navigated our relationship and me trying to better understand his experience in the military and um, now as a veteran. And um, I think, yeah, twofold here, right? Like trying not to come at and there's a whole section about this, like things that are very typical because you're a veteran, right? Dot, 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 fill in the blank. And it's like, okay, <laughs> let's, let's, let's build on that idea, that assumption or these biases that maybe you've seen in movies or you talk to one veteran and that was their experience and like, let's not generalize out, right? Um, and then I think what Dustin is beautifully saying is this idea of hoping to have a, a kind heart of coming at the person that's asking these questions in a way that is um, open and not assuming that it's a negative thing. Um, and I, I think that's something that um, it brings both sides together. So not just this feeling of, and that's what our book really tried to do was talk about mm -hmm. both sides. You know, how as a veteran, do you handle that when that is being mm -hmm. asked? And then also hopefully helping readers that are non-veterans understand like, how can we ask and not make assumptions? Um, I'm gonna give a little example, the not playing dumb question or way of Dustin. So I think one thing that, and this is, so it's not playing dumb, but it, it's, you know, the, the asking for clarification or more understanding of what that means. If, mm -hmm. you know, someone asks you that question of, you know, did you kill someone? Which is, oh, that is heavy, right? You know, right. maybe our response is, you know, I'm just curious, what made you ask that? And mm -hmm. I think that people then can reflect back like, oh, shit, why did I ask that? Yeah. Excuse my language. I don't know if we're allowed to curse. No, it's all right. We're talking to military members here. We're good, I think. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And But sometimes, like, coming at that, it's not like this, like, you know, what the hell? Why'd you ask me, right? It's like, what made you ask me that? And then sometimes that reflection back 
the person might be like, I don't know, I guess I just thought, and it's like, hey, yeah, I, I get that you're asking that in this way. And that might be a sensitive thing, like, or maybe you're open with that person and that leads to a really deep conversation. But sometimes these more like neutral ways of getting into conversations, you know, what made you ask that? Or I'm just curious, you know, that curiosity piece that you're bringing up um, can just kind of help neutralize really heavy, heavy stuff that veterans right. experience. And on the other side, maybe that question or vision that civilians might think that you know a, a service member had experienced so yeah and a, and i'm gonna pass the torch here to clint in, a, in <laughs> just a sec but just to tie that up I, you know i'm trying to be like a clever host here and that you guys wrote the book and you're bringing the book right to the assumptions right you know when you when you make assumptions you make an ass out of you and me yeah, and it's the beginning yeah. of one of your chapters uh there as well too and so i'm, I'm grateful that you you pulled that out of the text for us out of, out of really in that question and it's challenging too because did you kill someone i mean as as one of the quotes stated in the books i mean you know soldiers are unfortunately especially in the iraq you know afghanistan conflict aiming rifles at children uh not out of a desire whatsoever to do so but it's the environment that they're in and so a question like that um, can uh, can just be so devastating, I can imagine, for a military personnel because we're not always pointing guns at what we perceive as enemies uh, in that way. So uh, before I, I fire off more about these incredible aspects of the books, I think I think Clinton's inching to say something. Oh, I, oh I, honestly, I'm just thinking um, about how what you guys were just talking about actually would translate really well into the clinical world as well as... Um, especially for clinicians and um, professionals who have not experienced the military or who have very limited experience with the military. Because uh, uh, you guys do, you really normalize that um, hesitation or maybe a, a lack of feeling like there would be a connection between somebody who is a veteran and a, and a professional who is not, um, but also are very pragmatic in saying that, hey, well, that's what, 7% of the population? and you know, you're, the chances are, if you're going to look for help, if you're going to if you're going to follow these steps, if you're going to take that leap and take that risk, chances are you're going to be working with somebody who is not has not had those experiences. Um, but I also I think that there's a responsibility as a professional for us to be able to to know how to navigate those situations. Because I, I guarantee you, in grad school, I did not take a like working with veterans class. Like that was not offered. So um, I just yeah. I and I guess that my question would be is does that, I'm, I'm assuming that those same kind of strategies would work in the clinical realm, but are there other clinical approaches that you might recommend? Are there other ways that uh, you guys have recognized, um, you know, non-veteran or non-military professionals uh, have had luck with or been, or maybe things that we should shy away from as professionals? Okay. Okay. I was just going to say, so, um, and I think towards the end of the book, we have a few quotes. So that's like one of my favorite parts of the book is that we have veteran voices. So we call it the veteran voice. And we actually reached out to a bunch of veterans that spoke and we had actually the literal list that we asked to the veterans is the bat it's in the last chapter, I think of the book, um, or towards the end of the book anyway. Um, and I can't tell you the number of quotes that we got from veterans because we asked them, what would you want a clinician to know? Um, and there were so many quotes that were just like, be patient, be patient. Mm -hmm. And I think being patient comes with, you know, you're not going to go out the get go, like, tell me about your experience and all the difficult, hard things that you went through. 
it's okay pacing and i'm sure you've you know other clinicians have heard that like the importance of pacing and that's really important with veterans of pacing and letting folks come at their own rate of what they want to share when they want to share it that control piece um Absolutely. especially if you're working with someone with trauma right that's a that's a yeah. big deal 100 percent. yeah so um, that would be my biggest thing is that patience piece, pacing, um, remembering, you know, letting your client share what they want, um, especially if, you know, someone's been through a lot of trauma um, and perceived trauma. So, you know, right, like maybe I'm perceiving that as the clinician is traumatic, but maybe they're not there yet and we they haven't named that for them. So um, I, th I think that's really important. And actually that I want, and Dustin, please build off of that, but I do want to kind of, <laughs> bring back because I can't I don't think we can leave what Brandon said kind of in the wind about you know the the piece about the children and mm -hmm. I you mm -hmm. know I just want to say our book definitely hits and is heavy there's different parts okay. I mean that's a heavy heavy part of our book right yeah um and I think that you know this is an important time to say this you know as we're all talking about this of um the sensitivity of that and recognizing that um veterans and military members have probably experienced and seen a lot of things that non-civilians have seen. Right. And Dustin, I want you to please build on this, of course, from your experience. But I think that we bring these stories into the book in hopes to really bring about an understanding of this is heavy. This isn't something mm -hmm. to be flippant about. Um, and we want to really acknowledge and respect that. So, yeah. Um, I just and that that kind of builds off of like how you kind of go into working with veterans right so mm -hmm. um but Absolutely. dustin please definitely expand yeah. on that i just couldn't leave that in the wind that was definitely something yeah. that's no yeah. no and and thank you, for, you for for doing that carrie so yeah much appreciated yeah um uh so i i think there's a few pieces of that too because i think uh in a lot of ways yes it, it, the book is very heavy and one of the best pieces of a book is you can always put it down Right. So if something's hitting you, you need a moment, just put that book down. Right. It, it's it's going to be waiting for you when you get back. Right. Um, and so I think that that's such an important piece versus sometimes you're, you feel like you're in positions where you can't leave. You can't not talk about it. Or you feeling cornered by somebody to talk about something that's hard. So I think that, that, that this is also a great part of the book. But um, one of the aspects that I think is important, you know, whether it be of a very specific situation involving children or um, things that uh, goes against your value systems, you know, the, the, the concept of moral trauma is a really important piece in this uh, around understanding the things that you do um, or have to do as part of your job that goes against your value systems or things that you see that go against your value systems. Um, I actually talk about this a lot with my patients um, in the substance use treatment that, that, that I I work in around the things that you do under the influence you would never do sober, right? And so, how do you right. how do you make sense or the actual disconnect or even dissonance between what you did, who you think you are, and who you actually are, right? So there's there's all this stuff to make sense of there. Um, and so I, I think that's an important aspect to also kind of think of when you are working with a veteran as well. That whether or not we're making assumptions that their deployment was traumatic or not, whether or not they might share, share a story with you that they kind of laugh about of, oh, I saw this and oh, I saw that, ha, ha, ha. 
and in our in our heads we're like what what did you just say like that's that's awful right. um it yeah. might not necessarily be that to them and that's not to say that they're cold or they don't care but it's also a defense mechanism right that they had to use dark humor to get through a really hard moment and so mm-hmm. uh, we have to honor that and kind of yeah. not approach that with any sort of assumption so i think that, that that's one piece of it uh to answer your question as well around how to work with veterans i think also taking a cultural component to it veterans love to use acronyms veterans love to yeah. um you know use different code words or code names or um you know a, lo- a lot of last names are used when they talk about buddies and things like that as well and so um being able to say like i heard you just say this acronym whatever it is what what is that right and so th- then you have a whole hour-long session of what what would they go through in that one month in January, right? So I think that there's yeah. there's opportunities in all those stories, and um, and then that that probably would be another piece of it too is taking a narrative approach where the veteran can be really effective because mm-hmm. they've got the stories, and they and for some people either they haven't asked the right way or they haven't been given the space to actually talk about it, and so um, I think that that's also another way to kind of think of how to work with veterans. Absolutely, that's great. Yeah, beautiful, and. So, oh gosh, there's there's so many awesome. No. I mean, we could go into like solutions. Yeah. We can keep. T- there's so many yeah. great aspects. We won't be able to peel all the layers, but that's why you're going to go out and buy the book, folks. At the end of this uh, episode, <laughs> at the end of the day, I mean, speaking to both civilians and military members, I think it has value on both sides of this, um, and it's certain worthy, certainly worthy of an investing in. You know, the the book, as we kind of started with, starts with kind of pain man, physical pain management and symptoms around that. And it's a starting point um, to talk about pain because we, I think we all fundamentally understand or as a common experience, both civilians and military members, that physical aspect of things. But it feels important to start with that. It, and it, uh, I'm gonna, so I'm going to pose it as a question here without reeling through all the pain, you know, trauma and so forth throughout the book. But is it a common experience for you guys in your work with veterans that they come in and they're only associating pain with the physical and that's why it starts there to give them room to explore how this all contributes maybe to physical emotion, trauma, pain, and so forth. So I, I think it's a little, I have obviously very biased. I, you know, I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of times people are coming to me because they have something, you know, going on physically. So yeah. I, I think my, I might be a little skewed. My lens might be very different than, and so I would like Dustin maybe to answer this. So, I mean, I'm working with a lot of chronic pain patients. Um, and um, I think that what my experience has been with working with vets is that sometimes talking about the physicality and how that's such a trickle down effect to, you know, the things that it gets in the way of, like not being able to do a lot of the things that they would necessarily um, or that they would have done um, previously and the physicality of being in the military and how, you know, physically rigorous that can be and how that's changed for them now that they're, you know, back is, you know, such a problem and you know they're not able to go and do the things that they were with their grandkids or their kids that they want and um so i i think sometimes that that that's i i see that trickle down very easily um and sometimes too i i and i i think this is why we intentionally put it first is um physical pain not always but can be more um visible and that's a huge, huge part of, um, you know, exploring 
pain, addiction, I mean, a lot of times experiences are invisible. So people can't Mm -hmm. see what someone is going through. And then there's this intangible, well, I can't see it. So how is that still happening? And I, oh, it just makes my skin crawl because it's like, oh, well, so are we just going to invalidate that because we can't see something. But, um, you know, sometimes when the physical pain aspects, there are things that you can physically see with, you know, an MRI or a CT scan or, you know, if an amputation had happened for them. Um, so I think that sometimes that that can be a little bit of a, a easier way to get in and, t- and talk about pain um, and then that trickle down effect. So um, but I'm very, very biased because a lot of my <laughs> patients already are coming for, you know, the rehab sense of um, why they come see me. So Dustin, curious about your experience with vets. Yeah. Well, I, I probably have a similar bias with substance abuse because my, yeah. I'm working, you know, primarily with, with that. But um, I would say, I would say, yes, to a, cer- to a certain extent, you do see a good amount of physical pain or chronic pain that coincide with, with uh, a veteran's presentation. But I, I think, um, I think, you know, if we also look at the cultural component to similar to, to, to what was just said around this idea that it's more visible, it's also what I would call earned. And what I mean by that is, um, so, you know, it, when, I, when I was in the military, I was a 19 kilo, which is a fancy word of saying I was a tanker. So my, my, my running joke is I was small enough to fit into a tank, so I did that for a while. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I, think, I think, you know, that, that's great. It's fun. It's like a big turtle. I love it. Um, and you got to jump down off eight feet, 10 feet all the time. And your knees are just done within a couple of years. They're, they're, they're cooked. And so, um, but that's also earned, right? That's part of my job. I had to jump down, even though manual, they told you, you know, three points of contact, get down there slowly. We didn't always do that. Um, and <laughs> right. so, um, I, th- I think there's also this level of, again, a, it's a narrative. It tell you can, you learn a lot about their pain through the story of how they got it. Um, but there's also this level of um, culturally what's safe to talk about and what's not safe to talk about based on the gear that they have. Right. So um, whether it be visible or not, physical pain is something that a lot of folks can see. They can, they can understand, they can help in some ways too. Um, but that can almost mask what's going on underneath too. And so I think there's a level of, yes, that's there. That's an important part of this, but there's other things that maybe they're doing to also then manage that pain. Right? Are they using substances to manage that pain to be able to go to their grandkids' baseball game? Right, And so are they using alcohol? Are they using opioids? What are they doing to try to get through that? And then what message is that sending to them? And you're just, get, you're just layering this now. Um, and so we have to pull out all those layers to understand it. Yeah, I love that you're bringing the earned piece up because that is something that is a um, – a giant part of the feeling of like, if this is earned, then I, you know, I'm resilient. I, I've earned this and I'm supposed to be able to persevere and be resilient. And, um, you know, I think that's a a large message, right. That we talk about in our book is this idea of in the military pain too, is something that you're supposed to smush down and keep going. Um, and there's a lot of, of veterans that I've worked with that, have it just keep going i'm just gonna keep going and that's a huge part with physical pain especially where it's like wait a second wait a second if we keep going how many days after you keep going are you then out for the count because you you kept going um and we we talk about pacing and how like you know if we if we pace a little bit then we might be able to do more the next few days and Mm -hmm. um 
so it's this again this trying to relearn that yes so here's how this worked and served you and why this felt earned in this moment but now now that we're trying that that same mentality um after military um it's different you're you're pushing yeah. through and it's hurting you for a whole week and oh my goodness yeah. now your quality of life you're missing out on all these things that you wish you were doing um and guess what there's nothing to earn for missing out this is you missed out now and then so mm -hmm. it's that's a really entrenched um belief system as well so i'm so happy you brought that up dustin it's a great point yeah. and uh it, you know I, th yeah, I i climb a lot of the mountains here in the, the old rocky mountains that we get to live in here beautiful <laughs> rocky mountains in colorado and that three points of contact makes a ton of sense when like you're on a mountain and you're just in you know you know the, the the blue skies or whatever take your time and that sort of thing and I, it's interesting, Dustin, that you pointed out there's a manual for three points of contact, how to get in a tank. But like when you're in that environment, especially in intensity or, you know, um, bullets are flinging and all that stuff, like it, the manual goes out the window and just get in the damn tank and like, you know, take off in that regard. And I think it's a it's an interesting balance as well, too, or it's coming up for me. It's not necessarily in the book, but that transition into civilian life, like in the, in in the military life, you got to look at a manual and say, okay, this makes sense for training. Now we're, now we're in a real environment, throw the manual out. In civilian life, it's like, you never really get to throw the manual out. You kind of just, you know, HR departments and all of those things and so <laughs> forth. And like, there's a, there's a collision there of like, mm -hmm. just let me do my job. And I, I'm just curious if you could, you know, speak to, you know, maybe a little bit of, again, about that sort of transitionary period and, and what that's like for a military service member to go from an environment of which, like, you have an autonomy at any given moment to do what you feel is right versus what the manual is telling you to do as sort of a transition into civilian life. Yeah, I, I think the first word that comes to my head is frustration, right? A lot mm -hmm. of veterans are frustrated. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I don't I want to say all veterans, but many veterans yeah. come home and they're very frustrated by whether it be inefficiency, how it ought to be done, what worked for them, um, and whether they, you know, they, they, they go into their first job post-military and they have a certain way of working with a team, swearing, um, how they want to communicate, and it does not connect to the culture that is in that system or in that job or that organization. And then Again, it goes back to that isolating, like I'm different, I'm alone, no one understands me, like why, why is this so hard? Um, and so that, that again can be a really tough transition for, for, for a person. Um, and I, I think in a similar vein too, that the idea that there, there, there were the manuals and then there was kind of like the moral code and the right code and all these different kind of codes that we often had. And um, I would argue there's still similar things. There's, there's a way to kind of translate that in, in, into the civilian world of like ethically or morally what's right versus what you're doing. And I think that there's a way to kind of create language to, to kind of have them meld together. Uh, I just think, again, that takes time to understand that, to understand the, where they're coming from, where the culture is coming from and kind of how they can kind of meld together. And um, sometimes time can be helpful for a person to, to kind of reintegrate back versus um, the assumption that I get home, I must just be back. And mm -hmm. that's not, that's not a, 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 an effective way of looking at it. And so mm -hmm. um, it's, it's honorable. It's, it's very admirable that you want to just kind of go back and jump right in and keep going, which again is a very military right. mindset in, in, 
in our book, we also talk about the difference between military culture versus veteran culture, and they're distinctly yeah. different. And mm-hmm. um, a lot of veterans, a lot of people working with veterans don't even always understand those differences because often our assumptions are based on military culture, based on what we see versus veteran culture. You haven't even entered it, it into that world yet, right? So you, you leave the military and all of a sudden you're now in this new culture called veteran culture and you have no idea what the norms are, the behaviors are, attitudes are. And you're supposed to just know it. And so, yeah. that, again, that is a huge disconnect to that. So mm-hmm. plenty plenty opportunities there for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I know your your book is aimed at you know fighting both pain and addiction, and I'm, I want to get to my to my cool quote here um, to <laughs> to kick this off because I'm, I'm telling you folks at home like there's so many cool golden nuggets and statements like this, um, but this is on the tangible next steps uh, to change your gear, and it is it comes after the question or several questions, um, but it says whatever your answer is to changing your gear. Uh, know that substances are bad, dysfunctional, recall-worthy, maladaptive, tainted shit pieces of gear. Um, <laughs> geez, I just love that. Gosh, that just that's a good one uh, that that all the that all the viewers can take home at the end of the day. Um, so I, I bring that quote up because you're you're asking in a way veterans to find better coping mechanisms around their physical pain, their trauma pain. You talk about you know opioids for physical pain. You talk about benzodiazepines for um, you know, quelling emotionally, even at times slightly physical pain, um, you know, but anxiety and effects of that nature. Okay, so you want me to go off this medication that's provided some net of safety. Um, I think in our experiences at, at peaks, it's, it, there, there's certainly a scariness to that as well, too, because it is the protective layer that's existed there. Um, but these drugs at the end of the day um, are, as you point out in your book, are supposed to be used for short time periods, but we're talking about chronic conditions, anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so forth. And so short-term episodes, these things are gonna work for, but for chronic conditions, they are not gonna work for. So maybe you're sitting in front of a military you know, member, veteran, and so forth, and they say like, ah, well, I'm in pain underneath this, you know, and it sounds like in that regard, maybe there's a non-caring about that pain and a discomfort for moving through that as a challenge, but we have to replace the, the rucksack with these tools, right? Because drugs and alcohol are short-term relief, but they're not gonna work for chronic conditions and would just love for you guys to speak uh, to that value system within the books. And, and really, again, what you're asking military members to do, kind of, kind of a, out of a notion of trust and how we move forward from kind of removing these maladaptive coping mechanisms. You want me to go to, okay. Go ahead, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I think, so from my experience, I think that a lot of folks, um, when they're using some sort of substance, um, there is sometimes a genuineness of like, I know this might not be the best way to handle this, right? But it feels good in the moment. It, it's my only solution sometimes, you know, maybe my five coping strategies didn't work, but I am trying this right now and it's going to push things away. And I think we talk about in the group or uh, in the group, in the um, book that, um, <laughs> you know, that a, a lot of times when we are using, um, those sensations, the pain, whether it be physical, social, emotional pain, they're there after, right? They're, they're still there. And, um, you know, this short-term solution, if we understand that that's still there, then what are we trying to get at? Are we trying to 
um, lean in and satisfy something on the short term? Or are we trying to better understand how to, you know, get through day to day on a longer term basis? So, um, you know, sustainability is a big thing that I talk about with a lot of my clients of like, what is sustainable? And I think that's the hard thing with using, right? So we know that over time, when you start, it start maybe starts with, you know, one beer, and then it gets to, wow, this isn't sustainable, I have to increase, I have to, you know, now I'm using it these different times of the day. And this is, I mean, it, it's not sustainable. Um, right. So these solutions and these different strategies that we're talking about are things that are sustainable, that can last over time, that can look different each time. Um, and I think that's kind of the the thing that I talk about with a lot of folks is like, this isn't um, a you know, remote control where we're going up and down, you're increasing the frequency or this is something you can make variations of in different environments, situations, people. And that's that's the big thing is like, how do we get that buy-in that this is something that um, can be longer lasting and, and healthier for the body? Because we want to be totally. longer lasting, right? That's, I think, totally. genuine. Yep genuinely where people come from you know I, I tell folks all the time we are built to heal none of us want to yeah. stay in this place of pain you know physical social emotional whatever pain you're dealing with whatever so none of us want to deal with that so how do we heal from inside out and and the best way to do that is going through some of these strategies seeking support you know this we are very big in the book of like this isn't going to be the cure-all, like, right. please yeah. go see a provider, go get treatment, do these things that are also going to be way longer lasting. Um, you know, people are coming to the book probably at different places with mm -hmm. their addiction and recovery. So, um, but that's that's a huge part of sustainability and recognizing these short-term solutions are, you know, kind of in the meantime, mm -hmm. right? So. Mm -hmm. One of, one of the, the images that just came to my head was uh, Indiana Jones. And he's in that cave. He's grabbing that thing. He's trying to replace it really fast so that nothing bad happens, right? Help. And that's kind of how I see this in a lot of ways, that we're not asking you to do that. We're not asking you to just replace yeah. and just go. Um, right. uh, there's a level of we got to get out of that cave, right? Then then we can kind of work our way back. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think uh, we have to honor their pain. We have to honor what they're protecting. We have to honor what is not working. Um, and I think it's more about changing our relationship with the skill before we can actually take it away. Um, you know, earlier I was talking about, about military culture and back in, back in the military culture, alcohol, things of that nature are celebrated um, or used to kind of get through a hard event, right? Whether you're grieving or you're celebrating getting back from a mission or you're um, not, not necessarily overseas, but when you're coming back from like a training or right when you first get home, um, from, from deployment, you use substances in tandem with a feeling, right? And so I think there's a level of, we have to kind of change that relationship that we, that we're going to pair that substance with a feeling versus kind of separating them in some respects. And so I think a lot of people, when they, for example, when they first come to treatment, we first have to kind of stabilize that person away from the substance and then we can get to the feeling, right? But we, mm -hmm. if we, if we keep them in tandem right next to each other, the whole time, that's going to be hard. And so I think that um, being able to do that's a process. It takes time. Um, I remember telling a lot of my vets previously working at, at 
different VAs that we might spend 12 months talking about how the trauma impacted you where we actually talk about the trauma itself. And that's not to, yeah. to slight your experience. It's, I want to honor the fact that I only get an hour with you and you got to go spend six days and 23 hours not with me. And then you kind of right. come back, right? So I want to be able to make sure that you can handle that before we can even start dipping our toe in that water. So I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a way of honoring and understanding versus judging or expecting. Absolutely. And uh, I know we're getting to the, to the 12th hour of this discussion. I mean, just so many more bullet points. I, I wish we had several hours we could discuss this. And I know you got, you know, beautiful twin children sleeping in the background. So uh, <laughs> hopefully we won't uh, be uh, keeping you too much from them. Fingers crossed moving forward. But, you know, kind of, kind of to the 12th hour here and the last kind of component I just wanted to touch on for the viewers out there. And for the viewers out there, I mean, this, this book is filled with solutions and positive questions and reinforcing statements about how to move through these processes. And so uh, though we don't have time to dive into those, they're in the book, so check it out. Um, but uh, the, the one thing I want to honor here is, is the, the, um, the acronym ACE, uh, which I believe stands for Adverse Child Experience, Childhood Experiences. And before coming to the question, I'm thinking about the military member uh, in the book who said, um, you know, when I got into the military and I was getting yelled at, it, it was good for me and my experience was positive around it because I knew I wasn't going to get hit like I did when I was a kid. So in a way, the military member is being met with sort of a, a uh, you know, an early childhood experience with their father. But in that moment, it's positively serving them in the military because the takeaway is I can't be harmed in this and it was productive for them. But what I want to honor here around, you know, childhood experiences in post uh, traumatic experiences, painful experiences, death, grief, you know, death, grief, losses, those types of things that can happen on either side of the military process. Just would love for you to speak to, because um, I don't think that's all, I think people take away, oh, you're traumatized because you're in the military. You know, us civilians asking our, our lack of curious questions sometimes on the other side, but there's three sides of this, right? There's before military, during the military, and after the military, and trauma and emotional pain, physical can happen on all sides of that. And just want to honor this kind of last aspect of the book before we take it out with the viewers uh, and get your guys' collective thoughts on, on, on those principles. Yeah, great. I'm so happy you brought that up. I mean, we really worked hard here to try to give a full picture of, you know, veteran experiences. And I think this is the, the that's, you know, towards the end of our book. Um, and our biggest key principle here is, the veteran, we're not in a bubble. We're not in a bubble. You know, you don't just plop into the military and then plop out. You know, there's experiences even in childhood that predisposition you, your body to already have experienced stress and, you know, go through. And I, I think one of the metaphors that I just love in our book is the paper towel metaphor where it's like, yeah. you know, your, mm -hmm. your paper towel is wet and it dries up. And then, you know, it gets wet again. And those are from different stressful experiences. And I mean, that's, I, we nerd out a little bit and talk about the spinal cord and <laughs> anyways, but we do it in a way, I think hopefully that is digestible. But um, <laughs> I think that's, that's key, right? That understanding that trauma, stress, anxiety, fill in the blank, you know, that can happen before and after the military. You can experience a death or loss in the family that has nothing to do with your military experience. But because you've gone through previous stressful experiences, um, it, it's hard. I um, 
I think one of the things that I have noticed working with veterans, um, they asked me, Carrie, I don't get how I got through all of that, but I'm not getting through this. And <laughs> that it feels so powerful to me. And we talk about like, hey, this is not a bubble. This is your life is a continuation. It's not like, oh, well, there's the fly file system just for, you know, your time in the military. And now you start a new file. It, it doesn't work that way. Right. Our, our body's been through so much. Um, and I think that's a, a big part of why we really wanted to hone in on, you know, ACEs and then different experiences that happen after the military. Um, and, you know, I think one of the ones that is near and dear to our heart, of course, is, you know, death by suicide after, um, you know, the, the military and losing um, mm -hmm. either fellow vets or even other people um, around you, family or friends. I mean, there are heavy, heavy things that we all experience in our lives and they hit at different points um, for different reasons. And we have to understand that about ourselves and be tender about that of, mm -hmm. wow, you know, pre and post military, there's stuff we deal with, right? So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that also speaks to what we we're saying earlier around around the gear, right? And it's not to say that the that a person that's exiting the military can't handle stressful events. I think it's much more of a, the gear they had in the military helped them survive, right? But the gear that they're trying to still use in the civilian world often loses its luster or it's not as effective mm -hmm. or you don't have your group of 20 buddies around you to kind of process right off the bat, right? Mm -hmm. There's ways that you, you being able to kind of, this is actually an opportunity to get through it versus I, I, I couldn't do it. Right. I mean, there, there's a level of, we have to kind of deconstruct that again. Um, you're, you're absolutely right in talking about ACEs and there's definitely some research out there around the amount of ACEs um, that veterans experience and how that might correlate with how they experience trauma or how they um, work through trauma or are resilient from trauma. There's plenty of veterans. I know, for example, that uh, were only deployed for one day and they really struggled when they came home and other veterans have been deployed 20 times and, and they're showing nothing, right? So there's not like a, there's not like a one size fits all here. It's very much a lot of components and factors that play into that. Um, but I would say, you know, one, one piece that I always feel near and dear to my heart is that a lot of the, a lot of veterans that I know personally have experienced trauma before they entered the military. And it actually just speaks to their character in a lot of ways of how that trauma, they actually use that as, I want to serve. I want to help. I want to protect. And whether that's because they want to protect themselves, whatever that is, we, we go down that, 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 that hole done some other day, but, but there's a lot of psychological meaning behind that. And I think that um, that again, can be a great way to empower a person and change the narrative around their experience versus let, let their experience dictate their, their outcome. So I think, I think there, there's again, an opportunity there. Absolutely. Beautiful. Well, I, as I've, you know, shared like just so many components of this book, it is, it is truly a veteran's guide to fighting pain and addiction. And I think it is, um, you know, when I first started reading and I, I just felt like, okay, this is a great guide to, you know, veterans and military service member and military families uh, alike. But I think this is also a very important book for the civilian, uh, civilians to pick up out there just to, 
I think, better understand how to communicate, approach, understand what military members are going through before, during, and after the military. Um, so I think it's just a, this is, this is a solid recommendation to all the viewers out there just to pick it up, give it a look. How can we better support our military members? It's in the book. You know, how can military members better support themselves? How can the family systems of military members better support each other? It's all in the book, just wonderful solutions. And I wish we had more time to comb through it, um, but time is what it is, right? And uh, with that, I uh, would just love to, you know, uh, for you guys to kind of uh, help me take the viewers out. You know, how can they find you guys? Where can we find the book? All those types of things. Um, give it to them. What? Yeah, so we have a website, drsbrockberg.com. Um, please feel free to check things out there, but you can get our book. Um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, kind of anywhere. Um, Hazelden Publishing as well. Um, yeah, Dustin, you have to bring it up a little closer. Um, Hazelden Publishing as well. If you're looking for like a larger order, there are some discounts there that are available. Um, we're just so grateful to Hazelden and their support and all of this, um, as well as Simon & Schuster. So, uh, yeah, there, I, I would say those are the major ways. Uh, and we do have a Facebook group and an Instagram I'm as well. So feel free to follow and like. So. Yeah. And, and real quickly, Dustin and Carrie, I just want to say um, thank you for writing the book. As somebody who grew up in a military environment, military family, um, there were so many aspects of this in which, I don't know, I could actually visually watch um, my father's journey as he changed his gear out of his rucksack over decades, really. Um, just really learning how to um, become more engaged and connected, uh, especially because he came from a military family and then they came from a military family. So there's just generations of, of, of unpacking that I got to experience and it was just really great to see it in a book that um, laid it out very clearly, that normalized it and that made, I don't know, it finally felt like there was something that spoke directly to my experience, even though I'm not a vet, but as a family member um, from the outside watching, uh, it was just, I'm just really grateful. So. Thanks, Clinton. Yeah, thank you so much. And I, I, think, I think that response alone is one of the reasons why we wrote this book, right? That just to have that connection with the material, to be able to kind of personalize it, make sense of it. And I think that that's the end of the day, like, right? It's, it's less of a, a problem and more of a how do we find a solution, right? How do we find a way to change that gear? And all we ask, anyone that's hearing this, listening to this, take a chance. That's it. That's all we want you to try yeah. to do. Um, and yeah. if you can do that, you, you're, you're already, 20 feet in the door at that point. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you know, to, to Clint's point as well, too, I mean, just as a, as a uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I think certainly, I, for lack of a better word, just kind of dumb to military culture. It's just, <laughs> it's just not been a common experience in my family system. I got a few members, I got a few friends uh, in that regard, but uh, wholeheartedly, like this book resonated with me. Um, I'm getting a little emotional here, so I'm trying to hold it together so I don't cry in front of all these, <laughs> all these clinicians here in front of me, but uh, it is impactful and it's powerful and it reaches right into the heaviness of military culture, the experiences around it. Um, and I'm just filled with gratitude that it was written and that I was able to connect with you guys and, and be a part of this book experience with you. Um, and so in uh, taking it out here in your covert mission, uh, a veteran's guide to fighting pain and addiction. Uh, look it up, buy it, 
share it with all your friends, do all the things. It's an extraordinary text and just grateful to be a part of this process. Um, you know, with that said, my name is Brandon Burns, Chief Executive Officer here at uh, Peaks Recovery Centers, uh, hosting this fantastic episode here of Finding Peaks today. Uh, as is true with the Brockbergs, we got our own social media. We got the Instagrams, the TikToks, uh, the Facebooks, all the things. Find us out there, uh, folks. And again, Finding Peaks at PeaksRecovery.com. That's where we get a lot of our ideas. Um, and creativity around these episodes and um, also how people are finding us out there. So bring us your thoughts, ideas uh, in that regard. And if we can do more episodes in the future, you know, around military services, veterans uh, and so forth, uh, please, please bring that to us because we would love to invite future discussions in on this very important topic. So again, thank you both so much, Dustin and Carrie Brockberg for yeah. writing this text and joining us today. And for the viewers out there, until next time, thank you. Yeah.